Now, those of you who were listening to our last broadcast know that we have begun to discuss the question of fear on these broadcasts. We're not concerned about those fears which are built into us by God for a good purpose, that is, the fears that keep us from danger and injury that otherwise might destroy, destroy all of us, I suppose, before we'd even reach maturity. It's good to learn to fear a hot stove early in life so that you don't grab hold of it and uh, burn those delicate uh, muscles in your hands beyond repair. It's good to fear automobiles so that you don't run across the street as a child. So there is a certain kind of precautionary fear that God has put into all of us as a good emotion. Indeed, we saw last time that all of our emotions are good. God doesn't give us any emotions that are bad. It's only our abuse of our emotions. Even the emotion, for example, of hatred is good. Did you know that? The Bible tells us, for example, in one of the Psalms, it commands us to hate. It says, you who love the Lord hate evil. So every emotion that God has put into us has a good purpose. And so there is a good purpose for fear. That is, that kind of, of precautionary ability to uh, move back from the edge of the cliff when we see that the danger of falling over is great. But then all of our emotions can be abused. Hatred, anger, and fear are very powerful emotions that are abused very frequently by us. And one of the reasons that we need to talk about fear is because it is one of the most powerful of all of our emotions. Anger and fear, perhaps more than any other, are the most powerful of the emotions that we have. And at times, we as sinners have learned patterns of responding to life situations that are very fearful. Those patterns indeed trigger more fear, which then triggers still further fear. And that fear cycles up to a panic or a terrible fear experience that gets control of us rather than ourselves having control over the fear. It's that kind of thing that we want to talk about <clears throat> over these broadcasts to come and today. So let's turn now to a very important passage on the subject of the control of fear. Over in 1 Peter 3, the writer says in verse 13, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? And then verse 14, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. Literally, the verse 14 reads, And do not fear their fear. This passage comes from Isaiah 8, verses 12 and 13. Now, it's most important for us to understand the context in which this verse occurs. This does just not, doesn't just come out of the blue, suddenly plopped down into 1 Peter 3, but Peter is concerned about many things that are happening in the lives of God's people, but one thing seems to be uppermost in his letters. The people to whom Peter was writing were people who were involved in the midst of great persecution. Again and again, that theme of persecution among those who do not believe the gospel comes out in Peter's writings. For instance, over in chapter 2, 
he talks about the sufferings of Christ, and he says that we have to bear up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, 1 Peter 2, 19, just the way that Christ suffered unjustly and bore up under them. Notice verse uh, 20 and 21, he says, what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, get this, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Now, it's in that context that the third chapter of Peter's letter begins. But the letter begins with these words. I mean, the third chapter begins with these words. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Very interesting that right in the midst of a discussion of the sufferings of God's people, that Peter talks about submission of believing wives to unbelieving husbands. You know, what he's interested in saying here is that there is going to be suffering in such a context. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be difficulty that those wives will find as they live with unsaved husbands. But how are they going to handle it? That's the question. What are they going to do about that persecution? How are they going to stand up under it? Are they going to grump and complain? Are they going to uh, leave their husbands? Are they going to fight back? Are they going to revile those who have reviled them? Or are they going in the same way, are they going to handle this kind of persecution from unsaved husbands the way that Jesus Christ handled persecution from the unsaved people who condemned him and crucified him to his death? That's the whole point in this passage. You see, he goes on to say, and I haven't time to open up the first part of 1 Peter 3, but we've done that elsewhere, and I've spoken about that before on this broadcast, and perhaps I'll have a chance to do that again in the future. But we have noticed that here he says, don't preach to them, but win them by your chaste and respectful behavior. It's the lifestyle of the believing wife that will bring her unbelieving husband to faith in Christ, if anything, will help to do that. And so it's not by preaching at him. It's not even by turning up this radio broadcast uh, louder when he walks in the room. But it's by showing him, demonstrating to him the effects of the gospel of Jesus Christ in his life as they, uh, those effects change, uh, change you as you live before him and you become a wonderful and marvelous wife. And he says, say, what is it that makes the difference in your life? And, he, and your life itself points as kind of a directional signal toward the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, what he is saying in verses 13 and 14 is this. He is saying, you wives, as well as all the rest of you, you who are suffering persecution, what do you do? Well, here's what you do. If you do good, there will be very few 
who will harm you if you prove zealous for what is good. If you live the way that Jesus Christ says, there are going to be very few husbands that will turn on you. Most of the unsaved husbands turn on their saved wives, not because they're Christians, but because of the way they live, because of the nastiness and the backbiting and the disgust and all the rest that's in their lives. But then he does allow for the exception. In verse 14, he says, Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. But do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. Even if your husband makes fun of your faith, even if he does things to keep you from going to church or he does things to keep you from trusting uh, as you should, trying to cast doubts upon your faith, nevertheless, do not fear his intimidation. Continue to live the kind of life that demonstrates the truth of the gospel in your life, and God will bless you. Lord, help wives who have unsaved husbands to live without fear in joy and peace and Christian happiness before their husbands. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen.